Hello and welcome. I'm Mike Fucella and, and this is the sitting room of the manse of Bigger and Blackmount churches. We're meeting here in this virtual way at the moment because of the present pandemic. We hope that it won't be long before we are back to meeting face to face. But in the meantime, we can still be the people of God and we can still worship and glorify him with our daily lives. This morning we will celebrate communion together. So if you aren't prepared already and you'd like to join us in the sacrament, then please do get your bread and wine or juice ready now. Our first hymn is a reflection on the cross of Christ. Let's sing together as in this season of Lent we prepare to relive both the darkest and the brightest days of our human history as we realize once again the power of the cross and the freedom of the empty tomb. Let's sing, Oh, to see the dawn. Thank you. 
come before God in prayer. Let's approach him. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this past week. Thank you for the highs, the times, the people, the things for which we are grateful. And thank you that in the lows of this past week, you have been there to sustain, to guide and to help us. As we begin our worship this morning, as we enter into this service, we want to dedicate ourselves once again to serving you. You, our Lord, by all you have given us, by all you have done for us, have served us and served us even though we fickle, sinful and double-minded people don't deserve all that you have done. You have served us even to the point of giving your life that we might be free from our sin and live. It's not too much, therefore, that we should spend all our days in joyful service of you. And we remember your words if you, our Lord, have washed our feet in service of us, should we not therefore wash the feet of one another and of the stranger? Through this service, Lord, by what we hear and what we sing, and by the inspiration of your Spirit in our hearts, help us to get the right perspective on who you are and who we are, and your calling in our lives, in the light of your unfailing love for us. We pray now the prayer that Jesus taught all those who would come and follow him. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. The story we're looking at right up until Easter is the one that we find in the book of Exodus in the Bible. God's people are in Egypt. They're living there as slaves. And one of the things that they have to do for their Egyptian master, Pharaoh, which means king in Egyptian, the one thing that they have to do, or one of the things that they have to do, is to make bricks to build buildings. Here's a picture from inside one of the tombs in Egypt. It shows slaves, like the Israelites, making bricks. Do you see on the bottom right-hand corner, there's, in, there's a man in the middle. He's the slave. And the two guys on either side of him are his slave drivers. You see, if the slaves didn't work fast enough, and make the number of bricks the master wanted, the slave drivers would use sticks and whips to beat those poor people. Today, following on from the cartoon last week, we're looking at the part of the story where Moses, after having met with God at the burning bush, goes back to Egypt and asks Pharaoh for the first time to let God's people go. And do you know what Pharaoh responded to their request to let God's people go? 
Pharaoh was angry. He called the Israelites lazy. And he told them that they would have to make as many bricks as he commanded. But he wouldn't give them any straw to make the bricks. Now bricks, my brick anyway, isn't made with straw. Not all bricks are made with straw. But a brick made with straw mixed into the mud, if it's a mud brick, doesn't break as easily. And it dries much more quickly than a brick made just out of mud. Here's a picture of mud bricks made with straw mixed in. Without straw, the Israelites couldn't make enough bricks because lots of them would, would break and they wouldn't dry fast enough to be ready in the time scale that Pharaoh was expecting. And if the Israelites didn't make enough bricks, what do you think would happen to them? That's right, the slave drivers would beat them. Don't worry, though. God isn't done yet. He will still come to save the day. Meanwhile, what kind of master would you say Pharaoh is? Is he kind? Is he generous? Is he understanding? No, I think Pharaoh is truly mean and heartless. He's asking the Israelites to do something they could never do, make bricks without straw in the time frame that he was asking them to. God, too, is a master. God says in Exodus that he wants the Israelites to serve him instead of Pharaoh. But God is a good master, and that makes a big difference. When we trust in Jesus, we too become God's servants. God wants us to serve him, but he is kind and generous and understanding, and serving God is actually good for us. Sometimes God will ask us to do things that we might think are impossible. And at those times we might think that God is being a bit like a Pharaoh, but he isn't at all. God is quite the opposite. When God asks us to do something, no matter how hard, the Bible tells us that God always gives us all we need to do it. If we ask, if we depend on him, God will give us the wisdom, the strength, and the opportunity to do whatever he asks us to do. Here's a verse that promises just that. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That comes from Philippians 4, verse 19. I wonder, as a way of helping us to remember this story, if you could make me some bricks... Better yet, could you make me some chocolate bricks? Some Rocky Road tray bake. That's a bit like bricks with things in it, isn't it? Not straw, but marshmallows and bits of biscuit and other nice things. Could you do that for me this week? Adults, too. Make your tray bake and then write down the verse, Philippians four nineteen. And you, you eat the bricks. But before you eat them, send me a photo of your verse and the rocky road so that I can share it on the screen next week. Let's sing together a song that has become a favorite of mine over the last year or so. It's the song, Christ is Mine Forevermore.
from Exodus chapter 4 verse 27 then through to chapter 6 verse 12 and I'm reading from the New International Version. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had said to him to say 
and also about all the signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Chapter 5 Bricks Without Straw Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to the Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is this Lord, what that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and will not let the Israel go. Then they said, The Lord of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifice to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt says, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labour? Get back to work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are numerous and you are stopping them from working. The same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our Lord. Make the work harder for the people so they, that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble for use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work you required of you each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers bet the Israelites overseers um, they had appointed, demanding... Why haven't you met your quota of bricks to yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your, your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants have are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. Let That is what why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. All you will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realised that they were in trouble when they were told, you are to not to reduce the number of bricks required of you each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his, and his officials, and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. God promises deliverance. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on, it, on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh and speak in your name, he has brought trouble on his people and you have not rescued your people at all. Chapter 6 Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of the mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord. I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the, who the Egyptians are, are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, 
Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labour. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why, put, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? This is the word of God. Thank you, Katie, for reading for us this morning. Let's, let's pray as we turn to reflect on what Katie has read for us. Lord God, thank you once again for your word. Thank you that it is a, a light to our path. And it helps us to walk that path without stumbling. Lord, we open our hearts now to you. We ask you to speak through what we have read as we reflect on it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Although our passage this morning has many players from Moses to Aaron to the Egyptian slave drivers and their King Pharaoh. I'd like us to think about the Israelites themselves and how they respond to the events that transpire here in the story. Moses, after his initial failure at trying to help his people 80 years before, has in the meantime had a Midianite education under the wise tutelage of his father-in-law, Jethro. And even more importantly, Moses has had an encounter with the living God at the burning bush. And there God lets Moses know that God is indeed concerned for his people in Egypt. And he instructs Moses to tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let his people go. And despite all Moses' objections, at which we looked last week, God asked Moses to simply trust him. Moses reluctantly sets off for Egypt. And on the way, he is encouraged to meet his brother Aaron, who greets him warmly, just as God said he would. He tells Aaron all that God has told him at the burning bush. Moses and Aaron then go to Egypt. They gather the people and they tell them what God has said and they show them the signs God has given Moses. Before their eyes, Moses turns his staff into a snake and then he picks it up by the tail and it turns back into a staff. He puts his hand into his coat. He brings it out diseased. And then he does the same thing again, and it comes out healed this time. He goes to the river, and he scoops up some water. He pours it on the ground, and it turns to blood. The people are impressed, to say the least. And they are struck by Moses' message, that God is on the move, and that he has come to help them. And the text says that, the Israelites worshipped God for this. We've no reason to doubt the sincerity of their worship. But what about these Israelites? What do we know about them up to this point? The Israelites are the descendants of Abraham. Abraham was a wandering alien. But God made Abraham a promise that through his descendants the whole world would be blessed. He also promised Abraham that one day his descendants would live in and have as their possession 
the land of Canaan. God also also told Abraham that his descendants would live for 400 years in a land where they would be oppressed and where they would be taken advantage of before any of these promises would be fulfilled. Time passes, and Abraham's descendants end up in Egypt. At first, they're treated well there, but eventually they're taken advantage of and oppressed, just as God said it would be. They are oppressed and treated badly, but they are still the descendants of Abraham. And their purpose, according to God's promise, still stood. They would be blessed, and they would be a blessing to the whole world, but all in God's good time. It seems, however, by the story that we have before us this morning, that the Israelites had forgotten who they were and what their purpose was. Can you blame them? The Israelites have been in Egypt for over 400 years. They've been slaves for generations. And the problem was not so much that they were in Egypt. The problem was that Egypt had got into them. And their place in Egypt was about as low as you could get. And that's a story that is familiar to loads of people all over the world. When people oppress you and continually call you worthless, and they do it for generations, you begin to believe it yourself. You begin to forget who you really are, and you begin to forget what your purpose is. Perhaps after generations, you as as an individual have never really known who you are and what your purpose is. You become what others want you to be instead. So what were the Israelites thinking that day that Moses rocks up with the message that God was on the move with these miraculous signs to prove it? Well, I imagine they thought, this is good news. I imagine they had been thinking for some time that it would be nice if God would step in and make things a bit more tolerable around Egypt. Maybe their prayers for some time were, Dear Lord, make Pharaoh a bit more kind. Oh God, help us to fit in better here in Egypt. Or, Lord, Make our neighbors accept us, even though we are a bit different. And maybe it was those kind of prayers that they thought God might be about to answer when Moses showed up. Maybe that's why they worship so fervently. And sure enough, God could answer such prayers. But God had other things in mind. In our story, after things kick off, after Moses has gone to Pharaoh and delivered God's message, and after Pharaoh reacts angrily, demanding the Israelites make bricks without straw, and after the people are in turn angry at Moses for causing trouble, and after Moses, in his turn, complains to God, God responds. And this is what God says. He says to Moses, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it 
to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Do you see what's going on here? The people only want God to do so much. They're not happy in Egypt, but Egypt is all they know. They just want their situation to be a little better. But God plans to make their situation a lot better. God plans to set them completely free. God plans to bless them beyond their imagining. And God plans through them to bless the whole world. So what is God to do with these people who are so stuck in Egypt and have Egypt so stuck in them? People like this need to be shaken up. They need to be roused from their stupor. And that is exactly what God, through Moses, tries to do. Verse 19 of chapter 5 clearly reveals the heart of the Israelites. It comes at the part of the story where the Israelite foremen have come back from a tongue lashing from Pharaoh. He repeatedly calls them lazy. Did you notice that? And he demands that they make bricks without straw. It is then that the text says, they realized they were in trouble. It's interesting that before this they groaned and they moaned, and yes, the compassionate God heard their groaning and moaning. But even then, they didn't realize they were in trouble. A wise man once said, sometimes you need more trouble to realize you are already in trouble. Because the Israelites had made friends with their trouble, it requires this more trouble that's happening to help them realize what God is really up to. God doesn't want to just put a bandage on the situation. God is about healing the wound altogether. God's intention is to get right down to the heart of the problem and redeem these people from the inside out. That isn't e as easy as it sounds. The first 14 chapters of Exodus are all about getting the people out of Egypt. Now, that was a mammoth task. It took a lot of miracles. But the rest of the book and the book of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers are all about getting Egypt out of the people. They're all about getting them out of that mindset that has been drum drummed into them for generations. And even then, the Bible's contention is that it isn't until the coming of Jesus that anyone fully realizes both the extent of the trouble they are in and just what lengths God will go to to get us out of that trouble. Have you noticed up till now, up till the passage that we're reading today, how many times God reminds Moses and asks Moses to remind the people who he is? Four times he tells him, I am the God of your fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He tells them this to also remind them who they are. The Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, were a people with a God-given purpose. And that purpose was to be God's unique people, uniquely his uniquely having him in their presence, uniquely devoted to him, and uniquely displaying his character by the way they lived. They should have remembered this purpose. It was what gave them their identity, that identity as, as the covenant people of God, 
that covenant that he had made with Abraham, was what made them who they were. And they should have been expectant. They should have viewed their suffering through the bigger purposes of God. They should not have been living as if Egypt was their permanent home. But they were. I wonder if we can be a bit like the Israelites sometimes, or maybe even a lot like the Israelites. We too have a covenant identity and a purpose. Our covenant identity is given to us because we belong to Christ. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus has established a new covenant for us. As with the Israelites, because of what Jesus has done, we belong to God. We are his unique people, uniquely having God present with us, called to be uniquely devoted to God and meant to be uniquely displaying his character in the way we live. We too have a God-given purpose, not dissimilar to that which the Israelites had. Our purpose is to glorify God by being blessed and by blessing others. And yet, like the Israelites, we often suffer from amnesia. We forget what our identity and our purpose are. Instead of listening to God about who we are and fulfilling our purpose, we listen to the pharaohs in our lives, both human and demonic. They love to give us tongue lashings. On the one hand, they tell us that we are lazy, that we are ugly, that we are good for nothing. And yes, sometimes they demand that we make bricks without straw. And on the other hand, they, they tell us that we're better than others, that we deserve better, that the world doesn't deserve us. And we forget our purpose. We either wallow in self-pity, hope only for fleeting pleasures, or we aggrandize our own schemes in life and make what we do and what we plan the ultimate whether that be a job, a lifestyle, or even our family. And of course, the God who loves us is not going to leave us to stew in this Egypt where we find ourselves captive. As he needed to do for the Israelites, God sometimes needs to do for us. He needs to shake us up. Bring us to our senses and get us back to living our God-given identity and purpose. Now, sometimes that shaking up can happen in dramatic ways. Something can go wrong in life. We might get in trouble with a pharaoh. Stuff, plans, people we put our hope in might let us down. But God's shaking can also happen in less dramatic ways. It can come from a verse of scripture that strikes us between the eyes. It can come in a time of prayer and contemplation. It can come in the context of a candid conversation with a trusted friend. Or, may I dare suggest, it can come in the context of public worship maybe even from something a preacher says. I wonder if today God might be speaking to you, wanting to shake you up, longing for you to remember your identity and purpose and leave behind any lies that you may have believed about yourself and about your purpose in life. Let's pray. God says, you are mine. I love you. I have purchased you with my very own blood.
God says, I want the best for you. I want you to be part of what I am doing to renew all things. I want you to feel useful and fulfilled in my kingdom. Lord, forgive us when we have forgotten who you are and who we are in the light of your unfailing love for us. Lord, help us to get back on track. Help us to lift our eyes from the dust of Egypt to the horizon of the land that you have promised us. Lord, keep us always looking up always longing for your kingdom to come here in our lives, just as it has always been in heaven. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we respond to God's word and as we prepare com for communion, let's sing the song, Speak, O Lord.
come now to share communion together. If you've got your bread and wine or juice, now's the time to get them ready. This table, albeit a virtual one, is open to all who would come and eat with Jesus and his family. If you're a visitor to our church and you love and you trust the Lord Jesus, you are welcome to join with us in this special meal. We'll be doing things a bit differently this morning for obvious reasons. When it comes to eat the bread, since no one is serving us, we will all eat at the same time as a symbol of our unity. And we'll do the same when it comes time to drink from the cup. We will drink together. I'll let you know when that's to happen. Let us hear the words of the institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul writes in his first letter to the Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us pray. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts of bread and wine, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your Spirit, make us one with all who share this feast, united in love and ministry in every age and in every place. For we pray in and through our one Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The things of God. The things of God. For the people of God, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who find refuge in him. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And we eat together. Let's eat together. In the same way, after supper he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And we drink together. Whenever you drink of this cup, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord until he comes. Now I'll leave you to share the peace afterwards with one another in person if you have physical companions, or if you don't, on the phone or by whatever social media you prefer. But let me share Christ's peace with you now. The peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be 
with you all. Amen. Traveling through this wilderness as we are, with our eyes on a promised land before us, having been led through waters, for us the waters of baptism, we, like the children of Israel, are called to God's service. And he says that in serving others we serve him. And so we bring our prayers for God's world before him now as an act of service. Lord, thank you that there is light at the end of this tunnel, that there is some hope that restrictions because of this pandemic will soon be easing. And we ask you in this moment for you to give us a vision, a vision of what could be in the coming future. And we know that with your power and by your plans, the future need not be as it was in the past. Over this Lenten season, we ask you, Lord, to plant in our hearts the seeds of your coming kingdom, that those seeds might spring up in ways that are beyond what we had ever hoped for or imagined. And now, by the movement of your Spirit, we ask you to set people free as you have done in the past. We hold before you now people we know who are not free. We think of ourselves, some of us, friends and family who are captive to addictions. We bring before you people who are held in bondage by the lies that they have heard so often that they have drowned out the truth. We cry out for folks who are trapped in poverty and for others who are enslaved by wealth and greed. Lord, by your power and because of your great mercy for these whom you love, we say to the powers that hold them, let God's people go. We pray for those who grieve the loss of loved ones and we ask you, Lord, to surround them with your love. Fill them with your hope. And we pray again that justice might be done in our world, that peace might reign. We pray for the continuing situation in Syria, and especially for those who languish in camps, waiting for what is to happen next. And we ask you, Lord, to give wisdom and compassion to government officials of our nation and of other nations so that they might be of help in this lingering situation of hopelessness. And finally, we pray for ourselves. We go from this table, fed by your spiritual food, Help us to share this bread with others and to be salt and light in a world that has lost its flavor and that is perishing because of the darkness. We pray these prayers in the name of our Redeemer, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our final hymn is the hymn 
All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let's sing together. Just a couple of announcements before I ask God's blessing and we go our separate ways. If you were with us on Wednesday at the start of the prayer course, can I remind you that it's happening again this Wednesday at 7.30, so please do come along. It was a great blessing to all of us. I, I was blessed and I hope that others were as well. This coming Friday, is the World Day of Prayer, the 5th of March, 2021. Um, you will find the link below to get onto the Zoom call. That is the way that this is happening this year. It's happening at two o'clock. Uh, two, yes, two o'clock. And everyone is welcome to come to that. As I said, the link is below. Let us receive God's blessing. Brothers and sisters, you do not belong in Egypt. The sovereign Lord says, go. Walk in freedom as you learn to serve me and as you learn to serve one another. So let's go. And the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest and remain with us all evermore. Amen. <laughs>